on Wednesday morning, February the 14th, Valentine's Day, the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School started their day as usual. They went to school, they sat in their classrooms, they learned from their teachers, they had lunch, they talked to their friends, they worked on their homework, they passed out Valentines to the people that they loved and cared about, and they were um, getting ready for their day to wind down, getting closer to uh, the closing bell. But at 2.19, an Uber pulled up with a crazy guy named Nicholas Cruz. He was a troubled former student who had been expelled from the school because he had had multiple disciplinary issues. Cruz entered the building. He walked up to the second floor. The freshman Chris McKinnon saw Cruz loading his rifle. And Cruz told him, you better get out of here. Things are going to get messy. And with that, Cruz started his killing spree. The school went into a code red, which means that all the fire doors and the hallway doors were locked. However, that was overridden when the fire alarm went off. McKinnon went and told assistant football coach Aaron Feiss about Cruz's gun, and the coach went to check it out, and he used his body to shield a freshman student. Coach Feiss died a hero. In her first floor history class, teacher Ivy Shemis was finishing a lesson on the horrors of the Holocaust when all of a sudden bullets came through the door hitting six students, killing two of them. Hearing the shots being fired, geography teacher Scott Beagle unlocked a door to a classroom to let students go in and hide. He was shot and killed in the hallway. 15-year-old Peter Wang was holding a door open to let other students get out of the building before him. He was shot and killed. Cruz exited the building about 12 minutes after he had entered, having killed 17 people and having injured many, many more. And he was taken into custody about an hour later. Now, I don't know about you, but I am getting tired of these events because they are happening way too often. I'm tired of lives being cut short. I'm tired of crazy people getting guns. I'm tired of families having to look at empty seats at the dinner table at night. And I think we all must admit that this has become a very troubling pattern. Now, the topic of gun control is a very divisive topic. And that's not a secret. But our nation's inability to find middle ground on just about anything is really a growing problem. Binary thinking has become a challenge in this world. What do I mean by binary thinking? A belief that everything is black or white. You're either for guns or you're not. You either support the NRA or you don't. You either believe in the Second Amendment or you don't. You're either a liberal or you're a conservative. If only life were that simple. If only life were that simple. There are nuanced positions in life that require reason, courage, compromise, and I would add emotional intelligence. But you know what? I was thinking about this and it's been all over the news, so you've probably been thinking about it too. You know what lies at the heart of any of these perspectives on the gun debate? It's fear. 
Fear that another shooting will happen. Fear that all guns will be taken away. Fear that we will lose the ability to defend ourselves and our families. Fear that only the bad guys will have the guns. Fear that our politicians will just talk and not act. Fear that the Second Amendment will be banned or abolished. Fear is behind just about any of these positions that people take. And fear is what we're talking about this Lenten season in this series called Unafraid. And how Jesus calls us to cast out fear. To not be afraid. To not let fear rule and ruin our lives. Because fear paralyzes us. Fear cripples us. Fear keeps us from enjoying our lives. Matthew tells us a story in his gospel, the 8th chapter. Jesus and his disciples were on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden a windstorm arose and the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. He wasn't worried about it. But the disciples woke him up and they were saying, Lord, save us. We are, we are perishing. Things are out of control. And he said to them, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a dead calm. Michael Graham shared an interesting quote with me. It's by an evangelical minister named Francis Chan. And the quote is this. Jesus will calm the storms of life, but our job is to stay in the boat. Let me say that again. Jesus will calm the storms of life, but our job is to stay in the boat. But staying in the boat isn't always easy. Staying in the boat isn't always fun. And staying in the boat isn't always what we want to do. There's another quote that I love. Peace is not the absence of storms, but God's presence in the midst of the storms. Let me say that again. Peace is not the absence of storms, but God's presence in the midst of the storms. You see, it's not a matter of if we'll experience storms in our lives. It's a matter of when we'll experience storms. And will we have the faith and the courage to handle them and to make it through? There are all kinds of storms, school shootings, cancer, suicide, divorce, unemployment, infidelity, betrayal, loneliness, scandals. And some people, for some reason, have to go through far more than their fair share of storms. And I can't explain why. I don't think it's fair. And part of what I do as a pastor is I get to walk with people through their storms. And I can tell you that there is some pretty heavy stuff out there. Some people are, are better at weathering the storms of life than others. But if you are human, you will go through storms. It's simply a fact. So how do we let Jesus bring us peace in the midst of our storms? How do we let Jesus calm us down and say, peace be still to us when we're in the midst of a storm? Peace is not the absence of storms, but God's presence in the midst of the storm. We need to acknowledge the fact that there is a difference between what I would call healthy fear and unhealthy 
fear, just like there's healthy pride and there's unhealthy pride. Healthy fear is a part of the way that God has designed us. Healthy fear might keep us from getting too close to a cliff when we're hiking so we don't fall off. Healthy fear might cause us to eat healthy and to exercise so we don't get heart disease when we get older. Healthy fear might cause us to move out of the way if a car or a truck is coming so that we don't get hit. Healthy fear might lead us to not spend time around people that don't care about us or, or, or want what's best for us. Healthy fear might cause us to save and invest for retirement so that we don't have to work forever. That's healthy fear. But unhealthy fear is different. Unhealthy fear is when we take our fears to the extreme and we allow them to become all-consuming and all-paralyzing. Unhealthy fear happens when worry takes over and, and we begin to believe that bad things are always going to happen or always about to happen. Unhealthy fear is not a good thing, but unfortunately, unhealthy fear seems to be on the rise in this culture. So how can we live a life where unhealthy fear does not consume us all the time? A number of years ago, there was a group of uh, therapists who got together at Duke to do a study on psychological and emotional well-being. And in particular, they were looking for the factors that determine peace of mind, emotional and mental stability. And I'm going to share with you their results because I think they are very, very interesting. They named eight things. The first was the absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. Resentment in life is neither healthy and if it's not dealt with properly, it will only grow. It will become toxic. The second factor was not living in the past. An unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression. Do you remember the Eckhart Tolle quote from last week where Tolle said that if you got too much past and not enough presence, that's a problem. And if you got too much future and not enough presence, that is a problem. We have to live in the present. We have to be present in the moment. Some people have a hard time letting go of things in the past. They get stuck there. Third factor, not wasting time and energy fighting conditions that you cannot change. Cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. We talked last week about the wisdom of the serenity prayer. Control the things you can control. And don't try to control the things you can't control because guess what? You can't control them. And then pray to God and ask for the wisdom to know the difference. Four, force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Resist the temptation to withdraw and to become reclusive during periods of emotional stress. You know, sometimes it's nice to get away in life. And getting away can be good, it can be healthy, but sometimes when we get away, we're just running from our problems. And guess what? Guess what's waiting on us right when we get back? The same problems. So you can't always run away from your issues in life. Force yourself to stay involved with the living world. Five, refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow and some misfortune, and playing the victim can become a very slippery slope. That woe-is-me mindset can be uh, dangerous. Sixth, 
cultivate the old-fashioned virtues of love, humor, compassion, and loyalty. It's really hard to be afraid when you're laughing. It's really hard to be afraid when you're helping somebody else out, when you're helping somebody with their problems. Seventh, don't expect too much from yourself. When there's too wide of a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals that you've set, then feelings of inadequacy will develop. So we have to learn to tame our expectations, including the number of things we can get done in a day. I've started to uh, come to this realization that if I can get three significant things done in a day, then that's a good day. Sometimes we think we can conquer the world in one day, but we can't. If I can get three things done, I feel pretty good about that. Lastly, the eighth factor was find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people score lowest in any test for measuring happiness. And somebody once said, and my dad always preached, and I heard it growing up, that there's no smaller package than somebody all wrapped up in themselves. And it's true. I also think that sitting down and reading Scripture can be very powerful when we're going through the storms of life. And there's lots of different passages that you can read. The 23rd Psalm, uh, any of the uh, Proverbs. Uh, One of my go-to passages is the fourth chapter of Philippians. And if you've been a Woodmont, you know that because I like to preach on this text a lot. But Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I was thinking about this text this week in light of how we can find peace in the midst of storms, how we can find calm when things all around us seem chaotic and crazy. And there were three words that stuck with me from this passage. The first word was gentleness. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, which means I have a pretty intense personality. And sometimes Megan has to remind me to dial it back just a little bit. Be gentle with other people. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're dealing with. You know, we live in a world where people take out their anger and their dissatisfaction and their frustration on everybody else, the people that don't deserve it. And that's not fair. Be gentle. Be kind. Because if you're in a storm, that's what you would want from somebody else. The second word that stuck with me this week was prayer. With prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Once we have done everything that we can do, we have to turn it over to God. And then we have to let it go and not grab it back. Prayer is a powerful way to find peace in the storm. But if you never pray, you'll never experience that. Talk to God. Tell God your struggles and then let them go. The third word that stuck with me was from the final few verses 
and its attitude. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. You see, two people can be in the exact same situation in life, but if one of them has a good attitude and the other one doesn't, the person with the good attitude is going to do and fare much better. We don't get to control all the things that happen to us in life, but we always get to control how we're going to respond to it. We always get to control how we're going to react to it. Nobody can take that away from us. Attitude matters. Being a a positive person is, is important. Complaining and being cynical and critical all the time is not virtuous. It's not something that people want to be around. We choose how we respond to the circumstances of life, and that will determine, in a large part, the quality of our lives. There's one more word that I would add to this list. Gentleness, prayer, attitude, and the last word is gratitude. Being grateful. Being grateful for what you have. We do a good job with that in November, but what about the rest of the year? I'm going to close with a poem. It's one of my favorite poems that drives this point home. Uh, Sometimes we need to put our situation in perspective. This poem is called The World is Mine. Today upon a bus, I saw a girl with golden hair. She seemed so happy, I envied her and wished I were so fair. I watched her as she rose to leave and saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one leg and wore a crutch, but as she passed, a smile Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two legs, and the world is mine. Later on, I bought some sweets. The boy who sold them had such charm. I thought I'd stop and talk a while. If I were late, it would do no harm. And as we talked, he said, Thank you, sir. You've been really so kind. It's nice to talk to folks like you. You see, he said, I'm blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Later, walking down the street, I met a boy with eyes so blue. But he sat, he stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I paused and then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? But he looked straight ahead without a word and then I knew he couldn't hear. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears and the world is mine. With legs to take me where I'd go. With eyes to see the sunsets glow. With ears to hear all I should know. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I'm blessed indeed, and the world is mine. Even in the midst of life's storms, God can give us peace, and God can give us perspective. Amen.